Welcome, friends. This is episode 65 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to have you here. How did you arrive on the Syracuse Sports Podcast today? Do you subscribe? Because if you do, you got this podcast on your time, sent right to wherever you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever the case may be, and you can just listen whenever you want. If you don't subscribe, I think you need to. So you can have the convenience of listening whenever you want. But however you're taking in the podcast today, we do put it on Syracuse.com and on social media. We thank you for being here. Is there a path to the NCAA tournament for Syracuse basketball? We went to the expert on this, Joey Brackets. Now, Joe Lenardi of ESPN will be the first to tell you he's been wrong on Syracuse in recent years. There were times Syracuse was in the tournament, and then they weren't. There were times he felt they were out of the tournament, and then they were in. That's life on the bubble, where Syracuse basketball once again finds itself here as they go down the stretch. What will beating Florida State in Louisville in that scenario do for the Orange? Why is the ACC down? And what's it like to navigate the world of college basketball these days, which has just been very strange with the ups and the downs. The ACC might only get four teams in. It's been a weird college basketball year. We'll talk to Joey Brackets about Syracuse's potential path in and how he handles bracketology here in 2020. But I want to talk about Syracuse basketball to start off with, because it all comes down to this. Syracuse goes to Florida State on Saturday, and then they play Louisville next week. If they don't win either of those games, I think they've got to win both of them. But if they don't win either of them, their NCAA tournament chances become pretty much zero. That's where they stand right now, by the way. The bracket matrix, a measurement that looks at pretty much every online bracketology, doesn't list Syracuse in one current bracket as we speak. But if the Orange beat Florida State and Louisville somehow pull that off, they're going to find themselves not only on the bubble, but in the field, according to a lot of brackets. That's how this season works. Weirder things have happened, and we all know how difficult it's going to be for Syracuse to beat either one of those teams or beat a lot of teams if Elijah Hughes can't go. And his status right now is still kind of a big shoulder shrug emoji guy. Nobody's quite sure if Elijah's going to be ready to go. He sat out Tuesday's game with the groin injury. That's not an easy injury to recover from. I am not a doctor. I just play one on this podcast. But one would think that Elijah is not going to be his full 100% self against Florida State on Saturday. Now, Elijah did tweet this week, nothing major, two words, which we think are in reference to his status As I record this podcast, we haven't seen a ton of Elijah in practice, so his status is still somewhat of a question mark. But if he's good to go, it makes a huge difference for Syracuse. Now, even with a healthy Elijah Hughes, Florida State is going to be a very tough team to beat. Florida State has 10 guys that average double-digit minutes. Leonard Hamilton recruits players. And if you get recruited, you're going to play for Florida State. They have one of the tallest lineups in the country, which, by the way, Syracuse typically does, but Florida State takes the cake in that case this year. Just in their starting lineup alone, they go 6'4", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", and could have a 7-footer in there if Raekwon Gray plays at center. They come at you at waves, they're physical, they're athletic, they're diverse, and I think the Syracuse team is going to have a very tough time dealing with Florida State. But I thought Georgia Tech didn't have a shot to beat Louisville earlier this week. And look what happened, giving Syracuse fans some encouragement when they head for Louisville next week. The ACC is weird, but Syracuse is going to need a few things to come around if they're going to pull off this miracle and get to the NCAA tournament. First of all, they need Hughes to be 
healthy, whatever healthy is for a guy who's banged up right now. Syracuse has got to get a lot better three-point shooting at this point. This is a team that has just not been able to shoot the three in recent games. It's amazing that Joe Girard came out in Tuesday's game because he's noted as one of Syracuse's best three-point shooters, scores 30 points. A list, by the way, that only includes Lawrence Moten, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwayne Pearl Washington of players that have managed to score 30 points in a single game. But he was 1 for 10 from three-point range in that game. This is Syracuse's three-point shooting in its last eight games. Against NC State, 3 of 18. They did not have Elijah Hughes, keep in mind, but still, the fewest amount of threes they've made in a game this season. 7 of 21 against Wake Forest, 6 of 26 against Duke, 8 of 27 against Clemson, 5 of 21 against Pitt, 8 of 26 against Notre Dame, 6 of 24 against Virginia Tech, and 8 of 18 against Boston College. This is a team that was going to live and die by the three, and they've been dying by it lately because they just have not been able to hit shots consistently. And talking to Jim Beheim on my radio program this week, I asked him if it was anything opposing defenses were doing to slow down his team. His answer, nope. It was simply a matter of Syracuse just not making the open shots that they're getting. If Hughes is banged up, Buddy Beheim is going to get much more attention from opposing defenses, as we saw Tuesday night. With Hughes out, NC State was able to put their top defender on Buddy, and that's not something he handled very well. Another thing that Syracuse has not been dealing with well going down the stretch, foul trouble. Now, Quincy Garrier was a lot better in the NC State game because of Thunderbird and Bates from NC State being in foul trouble themselves. Garrier was able to work inside, score 16 points, grab 10 rebounds, and only get one foul called against him. Marek Doljai ended up with four fouls in that game, with the fourth one being called late. But the player who has been in consistent foul trouble for the Orange has been Barama Sidibe. He's fouled out of four straight games. He's had at least four fouls in seven straight games. And this is not a team that's very deep. Jesse Edwards, I think, has held his own in filling in for Barama when he's been in foul trouble. But I don't think that's a player that Syracuse can count on at this point. Speaking of young guys getting some run, Bryson Goodine has seen some time in recent games and may give Syracuse a spark off the bench because they're going to need a player that can do it on the offensive end. Howard Washington Jr., a lot of you have been wondering why he hasn't played in certain spots. Well, the answer to that is simple. He's just not a very good offensive player. He's very good at slowing down the team, running the offense, calming things down, particularly if Joe Girard gets into a little bit of a rut. But Howard is just not much of a scoring threat. So Syracuse is going to need everything from everyone. And their defense still ranks about 140th in the country in defensive efficiency. That typical 2-3 shutdown zone is just not the case this year with too many younger players in the lineup, the inconsistency with foul trouble. This is a team that's going to live or die by its offense and potentially, maybe, make a tournament run by just flat-out outscoring people. Can they do it? Is Hughes healthy? Can Buddy handle the extra attention? Can Joe Girard start hitting some threes? Can Quincy Garrier keep up his consistent play inside? Can Marek Doljai be Mr. Everything, in addition to being an offensive punch for the Orange? Weirder things have happened, folks. I am not going to sit here today, next week, or really until I know Syracuse is out of the tournament. Count them out. Right now, they're literally on zero brackets. But we've got a few weeks to go in a weird college basketball season. So what do you say we just sit back and watch it unfold? The expert on how Syracuse can get in, Joe Lenardi. He joins us now on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. 
Joe, it's a pleasure to have you back here on the podcast. And boy, it, it, it has been a weird year in college basketball. So has that made for a, a weird bracketology for you? How has it been navigating the strange field of college hoops this year? Certainly the non-conference portion of the season where we seem to be getting a new number one team, you know, about every 45 minutes. Um, that was different and and unique and uh, also fun. I mean, for, you know, people who don't always want it to be, you know, Duke and Kentucky and Michigan State, let's say, uh, there, there, there's that element of kind of freshness with the San Diego States and the Daytons of the world commanding a, a good amount of attention and deservedly so. Um, but I think, you know, now that we're in the teeth of conference play, uh, the, the top of the bracket has actually been pretty stable now for, you know, maybe two or three weeks. Um, there, there hasn't been a change among the number one seeds, and even the twos and threes have been stable. I think we saw that when the selection committee gave us its, you know, sneak preview uh, a, a week ago. And I, I did not find there to be any surprises. Maybe some other people did. Uh, for me, it was pretty much chalk. Joe, Syracuse has been an interesting case study for you over the last five or six years. We think they're in, they're out. We think they're out, they're in. They're always kind of hovering around the bubble. Last year, they actually got in pretty safe and ended up playing this Baylor team that's that's one of the top seeds and one of the top teams in the country. But uh, Syracuse is... They've got an uphill battle, uh, to say the least here. They've got a net ranking of 68. They don't have a top 50 win. They're 4-9 and nine against quad one and quad two teams. They don't have a non-conference win of significance. Is there a path? Is there a way they can play their way in? It certainly became a much narrower path uh, losing at home this week to NC State. Uh, because depending on who you like to follow those two teams were next in line in the ACC among contenders for an at-large bid that weren't in the field. Uh, and, you know, I would have slotted NC State a little bit ahead of Cuse going into that game. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you would have made Syracuse a favorite because they were playing at home. Uh, so to lose the game uh, is kind of a double whammy because, A, you, you don't past the team that's right in front of you in the league's pecking order, and you lose a home game that you can't make up, a, 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 a bubble game, if you will, and that puts the Orange in a position, I think, I don't want to say they have to win the ACC tournament, uh, because, you know, a four or five game winning streak would, would do it for pretty much any bubble team. Uh, but the problem, of course, and it, it's been beaten to death, is there aren't as many great opportunities in the ACC as we've seen in years past. So, um, you know, at the risk of being wrong yet again about the orange, <laughs> um, it, it, it's not looking good at this point. You mentioned at the ACC, it, it's startling when I looked at your bracketology last week. You have four teams in now, but to even see at any point, only three teams in from the ACC. I mean, every league has a, a down year, but not the mighty ACC. This this is a rare instance here. What what happened here that the ACC is barely going to get four teams in, maybe five if they're lucky? It's 
probably cyclical. I'm I'm not certainly ready to say that there's been some, you know, major shift in the power of college basketball. The ACC has historically been the best conference top to bottom. Uh, They did have a a couple of years uh, back in the early 2000s where they only had three bids in back-to-back years. Uh, but it was a nine-bid league, or a nine-team league, right? So, you know, a third of the ACC would look pretty good about now uh, if they were to get five of, of their 15. And, and I, I think that that's possible, but certainly not probable. Um, you, you know, the Big Ten is unusually deep, gobbling up some bids. Uh, but it's mostly been the fact that the ACC in the non-conference portion of the year just didn't win the, the, the number of games, particularly against the other power leagues, that they normally do. And, um, you know, generally that comes down to the basics, like your players are better than my players. And, and that's been the case for this year. And teams that we thought, you know, were going to be in the upper echelon, uh, you, you know, maybe we overrated Virginia. Uh, given everything they lost after an incredible five-year run capped off with the national championship. Um, I think we thought that NC State would be more consistent uh, after after coming up just short of the tournament a year ago. I think we thought Syracuse would be better. Uh, not a ton better, but, but, you know, certainly with a chance to be on the right side of the bubble and not kind of gasping here as we enter the stretch of the regular season. Um, some people thought Clemson would be better and, and so on down the line. The middle teams haven't performed in the ACC this year. Joe, uh, you mentioned there's not a lot of opportunities in the ACC, but Syracuse has two in a row coming up here. They go to Florida State and then they go to Louisville, which are not going to be easy by any stretch. And now Elijah Hughes' status is kind of up in the air due to his groin injury. He says it's nothing major, but you know we'll see how he plays. That being said, let's let's live in a dream world here, and Syracuse wins those two games. How does that change your perception of them? Well, they would be right on the edge of the field at that point, and maybe even in it, to, to get not just two quad one wins, but two upper end quad one wins. Uh, and, and I think, you know... Let's tell it like it is. If if Syracuse played either of those teams in a best of seven on a neutral court, I think the smart money would take the other team, let's say, in five. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. That, that feels about right. So, you know, that means that 20% of the time they're, they're going to win against those teams, roughly. Uh subtracted in however much weight you want to put to them being road games. Uh, but, but you know, Louisville has stumbled uh, against Georgia Tech this week. Uh, Florida State uh, lost a home game not that long ago. So it's not impossible. But to get them back-to-back, uh, that's one of the reasons why I – feel kind of deep down that it's just not going to happen for the Orange this year. For a bracket watcher in Syracuse or, or a bracket watcher any anywhere these days, particularly if you're living life on the bubble, 
What's that like in 2020? What are the things that fans have to look out for? Who you beat is certainly important, but what are the key factors to watch, uh, not only going down the stretch this year, but in general to see uh, where a team stands in terms of the tournament and, and bracketology and, and the whole process? I think the quad system and now the, the amount of time and energy and words that we spend talking about it uh, has created like a new level of rooting interest in the teams that you've played. Right? Hey, can they slide? Can that become a quad two win instead of a quad three win, or or, or a quad three loss instead of a quad four loss? And, you know, the best end of it. How can we get an extra win or two in that first column? You know, can can somebody that we beat on the road that was number eighty slide up and be number seventy so we get the full credit for that? That's kind of fun. Uh, and and in the RPI year, it was it was a little bit less regimented in in that regard. So it creates rooting interest. Uh, but of course, you've got to have those wins in the first place to allow your fans to to root for the teams you beat. Joe, it's going to be fun to watch going down the stretch here. As you said, Syracuse's chance is looking slim right now, but you know as well as anybody that uh, you just never know with Syracuse and a lot of teams. And this year in college basketball, uh, don't write anything in ink until we see that actual bracket come out. Best of luck with everything. Always appreciate your time, and uh, we'll definitely catch up again soon, my friend. You got it, Brennan. As we've learned, if there's a part of the country where the statement, you know, occasionally I'm wrong, Is a true statement, it's Syracuse. (laughs) Thanks for listening to episode 65 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks to Joe Lenardi from ESPN for joining us. I would remind you to subscribe to this podcast. Not only this, but if you subscribe to Syracuse.com podcasts, you will get this podcast, the Syracuse Sports Podcast. You'll get my Syracuse basketball recaps in podcast form and you'll also get the Syracuse football podcast with Stephen Bailey he just had a really interesting conversation recently with new Syracuse defensive coordinator Tony White I just had Jay Billis from ESPN on this podcast recently lots of good stuff in the archives so find Syracuse.com podcasts on iTunes Spotify Stitcher hit that subscribe button and you'll get it delivered to you on your time on demand my name is Brent Dax thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you next time I'm Brent Axe with your Syracuse Sports Headlines. With a 24-point effort Wednesday night against Villanova, Marquette's Marcus Howard became the Big East's all-time leading scorer in league games with 1,408 points. Howard passed Syracuse's Lawrence Moten for the scoring record in Big East play. Former Syracuse quarterback Eric Dungy is taking a break from the XFL due to family reasons, he announced on Twitter. Dungy, who served as the Dallas Renegades' backup in the league's debut weekend, said he'll be back with the team next week. Elijah Hughes, Syracuse basketball's leading scorer, is considered day-to-day after suffering a groin injury prior to the Orange's 79-74 loss to NC State Tuesday night. Hughes injured his groin during team warm-ups. The junior forward tried to play, but left the court just three minutes into the game and never returned. The Syracuse lacrosse team will be without All-American close defender Nick Mellon when it hosts Binghamton Saturday. Orange head coach John Desco confirmed the news Wednesday. He did not specify the extent of Mellon's injury other than to say Mellon is week-to-week. 
He suffered a leg injury in last week's win over Colgate. The honors keep pouring in for the offensive stars of Syracuse Lacrosse's season-opening win over Colgate. Stephen Reifus was named to the USILA Team of the Week. Reifus put up seven assists against the Colgate Raiders, becoming just the 10th player in Syracuse history to reach that level in a single game. Also this week, Chase Scanlon was named the ACC's Offensive Player of the Week for his seven-goal effort. With your Syracuse Sports Headlines, I'm Brent Axe.